I, um, before I preached, I found, I found a verse that I, I did know, but I really struggled to, um, to find it. I found, I found a verse in the Bible, uh, which, is in, which I've dropped on the floor. And the iPad, and yeah, yeah. Still there. Uh, it's in Luke 16. Cheers. Uh, verse 11, which says um, something like, um, how will God entrust us with true spiritual wealth if we don't handle earthly wealth well? Uh, I did have it looked up, but I've lost, just lost the bit of paper it was on. But, <laughs> so forgive me. So uh, I thought it was an interesting th- thing. What, what's, what's real wealth? What's, re- what's real wealth? And it, it seems that, G- that Jesus is saying, if we handle our earthly wealth well, then he'll give us some proper wealth, which is spiritual wealth. It's people, people's lives. It's more of the kingdom of God. It's people saved and, and so on. And I thought, that's just fascinating. must share that. So I, I'm not sure if I've said it right. But, but I thought that's a great verse to share in the context of what we're seeking to do and to be as, as a church and in the build-up to a gift day. Because I don't know about you, I, I was fine. I'm, I'm, exci- I'm one of the rare ones. I get really excited by gift days. I absolutely love them and always have since I was a, a tiny kid. I just love gift days. I don't know why. I've always been excited about giving stuff away. I can remember my parents warning me about it. But uh, it's one of those things that I ignore them and I've done okay with not a general principle to ignore your parents, you understand. But, and I'm really excited about the gift days that we've got at the end of April. And I just want to encourage everyone to pray that God will help you use your earthly wealth well. Whatever that means. Just as a simple prayer. Lord, help me to use my earthly wealth well so that you will give us proper wealth. That's the, the end game. I mean, it is a building, but the end game is not a building. Building is just a tool. The end game is we want to see people's lives change, isn't it? The, the end game is I, I want to see people that are in the artistic community coming into a church who wouldn't dream of coming into a church. I want to see business people being affected, and I want to see shoppers coming in and thinking, goodness, why, why are the people in there so welcoming? There's something different about those people. That's, that's the end game, is lives change. So w- would you join me in just praying to God, God, help me to use my earthly wealth well, so that you can entrust us with proper wealth, souls saved, People coming to know Jesus, people being healed of addiction, people's bodies being uh, shaped up again, people being helped to, to be able to cope with pasts that they would rather forget. All of that stuff. Can I just pray for us? Uh, and we, We're going to have someone talking in a different way about the building for the next few weeks. But I just want to encourage us. to it's, it's proper wealth that we want. I mean, we've got what wealth we've got. Some of us have got a lot. Some of us have got not so much. Those who have got a lot always look at someone else and think that they're the ones that have really got a lot. But like, we're all, you know, some of us have got hardly anything. That's okay. But whatever wealth we've got, whether it's some benefit that we get every week or whether it's a huge salary or whatever, let's ask God that he would help us and lead us as we move towards this gift day at the end of April, that he would help us handle it well, that he'd speak to us, lead us what to give, He's providing for us and he'll carry on providing. That's not the issue. He's a very rich father. The, the issue is not the provision. The issue is help us, Lord, to handle what we've got really well so that we can get the real wealth 
which is people's lives. So let me pray. Father, we just bring to you this offering at the end of April, and we bring ourselves, you see us anyway, and we ask you that we would be faithful in handling what you've given us really well. Show us what that means for each one of us. We're all different, Lord. We've got different amounts, different needs, but we pray that you'd help us and lead us towards this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good. Sorry. Still in a state of upside down Bibleness. <laughs> anyway, we're looking in Hebrews chapter eleven. So, if you got a Bible, you can uh, you can try and find that. And it's uh, it's a chapter that's full of sort of famous people actually not all of them are famous but they're all faithful people Moses and Abraham people that are no longer with us but are now shouting from the sidelines and cheering us on and inviting us to run the same kind of race that they ran and we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and particularly we're going to look at verse 13 to 16 let me read it to you Hebrews eleven thirteen to 16 all these people were still living by faith when they died They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So it's not particularly this morning a a talk about any one personality. It's talking about a a number of them there. And uh, I want to talk about being faithful to the end. Being faithful to the end. Some people have stickability, don't they? There are people who start off, it's like tortoise and hare. There are people who start off fast but fade, and there are people that just keep going. They've got stickability. Come heaven or high water or the opposite, hell, high water, come whatever, they've got stickability. They're faithful to the end. Uh, one person once said to me, I can't remember who they were quoting, not many people keep their edge to the end. And uh, I was quite challenged by that. I thought, well, I want to. You know, some people burn out in their Christian life. They, they, they're like, and then they fade like a firework that starts to go off. There are other people that sort of rust out. They just, <laughs> I want to last out. I want to keep going. I want to be faithful to the end. And it, here's a little light-hearted question, not. Can, can faith actually meet death and deal with it? It's a good question, I think, cause, because, you know, that's a fact of life, isn't it? Can faith meet death and deal with it? See, this writer here in verse 13, when he says all these people were still living by faith when they died, he's not saying these people all live by faith. Oh, and by the way, then they died. He's not saying that. It's not like a historical fact. We know know they died because Moses is not around now. He's not saying that. What he's saying is these people are examples of facing death with exactly the same faith they lived all their lives by. They kept it. 
They kept that faith all the way to the end and right to the very end they had that faith. And we're invited to mimic them and to join their story. They were continuing in faith to their very last moment. That's great, isn't it? Used to be, I remember seeing um, in the chapel where I, I grew up, there was a, when I was bored, I used to read the, um, the what are they called? Plaques, the memorial things to keep me going. That and trying to work out how I could get from one side of the chapel to the other without touching the ground. But it was the thing I used to do. It was, <laughs> so you think you've got problems. So anyway, so, and one of, one of them was a, a, a distant uh, forebear of mine, I think. But anyway, he's, he's had on the bottom, faithful unto death. It's not very cheery, but I thought it's good. I want to be faithful right to the very end. They were continuing in faith. You see, faith goes beyond this life. Faith goes beyond this life. How did Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verse uh, 19. He said, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all people. Now, we have got hope that Christ makes a huge difference in this life. He gives hope. He, do, he brings healing. He does all sorts of things. That's wonderful. But if, if our hope in Christ is confined only to the span of our years, then actually it's pitiable. That's what Paul's saying. It's a shame. We've missed out. We've missed some of the point. Faith goes beyond this life. In fact, death is the hour when faith has its ultimate victory. That's the ultimate victory of our faith, is to die with faith, trusting in God. Paul put it like this in Philippians 1. He said, for me, to live is Christ. That's what life's all about. And what's death? It's more of Christ. To die is gain. Living my life is all about Jesus Christ and knowing him in it. When I die, what do I get? I get more of him. Some of you would have heard of an African chap called David Odenahutsi. And uh, I, he was once uh, staying with a friend of mine. And his son, he was talking about going in and out of some quite dangerous places in Central Africa. And uh, my friend's son said to him, but aren't, aren't you scared about that? And he said, well, I'm a little nervous, but after they killed me, what can they do? Now, that's, prof- that's profoundly theologically correct. He wasn't being blasé. He wasn't saying, I'm not scared. He, I'm, not, I'm nervous. You know, I, I, you, don't have a death re- you don't have a death dress rehearsal. You, you know, you, so so having, never having done it before, you're bound to be a little bit nervous. But he's saying, but after that, what can they do? That, there's a man that he's, he's preparing himself because he's living by faith. He's preparing himself to die by, by faith. In fact, if you want to do one, you've got to do the other. It's no good hoping that you die by faith and, and living any old how now, because you're not preparing for that time. These people all lived by faith and died by faith. And to die with faith is the entrance into something that is far, far better. So how do we stay faithful to the end? How did they do it? Well, it, it, there's a, let me make a number of points. And one of them is this, they trusted the promiser. It says in verse 13, they were living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things that were promised. That's strange, isn't it? In other words, they continued to trust in what God had promised, even though personally they weren't getting what God had promised. 
That's, that's quite a hard one, isn't it? When, when, you, when there are some promises and you think, I'm trusting in that promise, but you don't get it, but you still trust the promiser. That, that's quite a hard thing. That would make some people confused, wouldn't it? But you, you said it and I have, haven't got it. That's confusing. That's real, I think. Biblical faith is very real. This is the writer of the Bible saying, hey, God promises stuff, but they didn't get it. Oh, that's a bit confusing. See, they could have become confused. They could have become, actually, they could have become quite bitter. I don't know if you've ever met anyone that's bitter. I trusted that this would happen, and it, and it didn't happen. And you can allow your faith to become bitter. Or, or you can become sort of disillusioned, really. Well, I just give up then. It's, not, it's just not worth it. I thought this was going to happen. I thought that was going to happen. It hasn't happened. I'll throw it all up in the air. You could become bitter. But they didn't. They didn't receive the things promised, but they trusted the one who had promised. They trusted the promiser. In fact, it says they saw them. It's an interesting phrase. They saw them and welcomed them from a distance. It's a tr- one of the traditional, I can't remember what country, one of the traditional greetings in Africa is, I see you. That's great, isn't it? I, I, I see you, I, I recognize you, I acknowledge you, I see you. That's how they were with the promises. It's a pro- God said a promise, and they said, I see you, promise. Welcome. You're so welcome, promise. I see you. Yeah, I can see you at the back there. Hi, Mel. I see you at the back. I welcome. That's how they were with the promises. They honored the promises because of who made them. You could translate it. They saluted them. They greeted them. They, good morning, promise. They greeted them. They tipped their hat. Whatever way you greet people. We don't really do that anymore, do we? It's my granddad. <laughs> They welcomed, they saw something in God and they, they received it. You know, you, know, you know what it's like to go somewhere and, and you get a sort of weak, weak, oh, hi, sort of thing. <laughs> like, it's like shaking hands with a wet fish. It's one of those ones. And you think, I don't really feel like, I, someone's done their duty, but I don't really feel welcomed. You ever had that experience? I don't really feel received. No, no, when we see the promises, it says we see the promises of God and we give them a warm handshake. We say, I'll receive you. Uh, maybe it's at a distance, but we receive, because of who sent that promise, because of the one who spoke it, we receive the promise and we salute it, even though it's distant. It's a reception by faith because God said it, I will believe it. I've got no evidence. I look around, Abraham looking around the land. He only owned the bit he buried his wife in. He looked around the land and said, I'm believing that. God said it. And he's getting to 90, he's getting to 100. I'm believing God. He did eventually get his son. He waited 10 or 20 years, something like that, for him. But he just believed it because of who said it. That's faith. When you believe God's word because of who he is. That's it. It's not... It's not based on science, it's not based on measurement, it's not based on proof. It's based on the one who spoke is faithful. So I believe it. They didn't receive the things promised. They saw them and welcomed them at a distance just because he promised. You know, there are some people, I don't know if you have anyone like this in your life, they make a promise and what they're really saying is, wouldn't it be nice? Yeah, you know anyone like that? <laughs> so, so some people uh, over-promise. 
Do you know what I mean? They mean well, and they, they genuinely mean they're going to do this, 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 and this, but you, it, because you know them, you think, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, do you have anyone like that in your life? I, yeah, quite a lot of people nodding to that one, just hoping it's not me. So, but, but then there are other people you think, they say something, and you just know. You just know. Uh, unless they're dead, that's going to happen. And even if something awful happened, they couldn't do it, they would phone you up and say, would you release me from that promise because this has happened? That's integrity. Well, well, God is full of integrity. He's a God who cannot lie and always keeps his promises. So we can trust the promiser because of his character. Faith rests on the character of the promiser. It's not so much even my ability to keep hold of him. It's his super ability to be faithful to what he said. So Abraham's trusting God for a promised son. And eventually he gets a promised son. But he's trusting God for a promised land. And he never sees it. He's trusting God that he'll become a father to nations. And he never sees it. He's trusting God that, that through his seed, every nation on earth will be blessed. That's really distant. He certainly never sees that. And it all rests on the character of God. And you know, it's the same for us. The things we're believing God for, the things we're trusting him for, it all rests on God's character because he's promised we can believe it. Just an aside there, if you're trusting God for prophetic words, make sure they're they're words that have been weighed up. I don't mean, is that true or is that false so much, although that's valid, but a sense of, has God really said that? Let's pray them through. Has that been confirmed by other people? It's that kind of thing. Not, not, I'm not talking about flaky stuff. I'm talking about well-attested prophetic words. Let's trust God, what he says in his word, what he says prophetically that's been well-attested and tried and prayed through. But, but here's an important thing. Let's not dictate how he fulfills his word. We just have to rest on his promise and his person. See, if you'd said to Abraham, look, it's going to happen like this, Abraham. It's not going to happen to you. It's not going to happen to your son. not going to happen to his son. But there'll be 12 brothers, and one of them's going to put their youngest brother in a hole in the ground. Then he's going to sell him into slavery, and then he'll be in prison. And, uh, and, but then he's going to have a dream to the king of, uh, of Egypt, and that'll get him out of prison. Then he'll become prime minister. Then he'll have lots of children. They'll become a nation. And then for 400 years, they'll be in slavery. And then one of those baby children will be put in a basket and put on the River Nile. And, uh, and then he, because of that, he'll be brought up by the princess in Egypt and learn how to rule a nation. But then he's going to murder someone. Then he's going to go into the countryside. He's going to look after a load of sheep for a while. Then he's going to see a burning bush. Then he's going to go back with a magic walking stick He's going to do lots of tricks, and then the people will come back, and then he'll have a promised land. Well, Abraham would never have believed that, would he? Who would have believed that? I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing is totally biblical. <laughs> it's ridiculous. See, see, when you dictate how God will do it, you, well, his thoughts are just way bigger than yours and mine, aren't they? I look back on some of the, the tiny little words I've had and, and at points I've thought, it's going to work like this. And, and, and that's a really, that's, that's really sort of dangerous times. That's when it all goes wrong. Couldn't think of the right expression then. 
It all goes, it all goes wrong. And, and you find that instead of being over here doing that, you, you're over here doing this. And you think, well, that doesn't, that's not the way that I planned it, God. And he says, no, that's because it was me that planned it, not you. And, he di- and then suddenly you find by a funny route, <laughs> how do you say that? That's the word, that one. By a funny route, he gets you to where he wants you to be. And his purposes stand firm if you keep following him. He does strange things in strange ways. So we can't dictate how he fulfills his word, nor can we dictate when he fulfills his word. The hard fact is Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph all died living in faith with a promise. That's a lot of generations. They lived with a not yet promise. And that's where faith comes, isn't it? Between a promise and a fulfillment, that that gap is filled by trusting God, by believing in what he said just because he said it. And that was their legacy. And when the people of Israel went in, that was still Abraham's legacy. It was still his faith and Isaac's faith and Jacob's faith and Joseph's faith. That's really important, you see. We, we, we ride on the back, we, we picked up the baton from lots of people of faith who went before us, didn't we? Lots of people, who, men and women who trusted God, who believed for healing, who defended the Christian faith, who believed in being justified by faith. Lots of people that went before us. We carry a baton, but we're part of their story. So what we do with it, how we live, how we trust God is really important. But we will pass that baton on to others. Some aren't even saved yet. But to our, to our children and our grandchildren, they will run further. They are part of our legacy. So if, if they get the promise we've believed for, that's okay. Does that make sense? It's a, the Bible has a different view of time than, than we do. Part of our legacy is what our children and our grandchildren do with the faith that we pass on to them. That's why how you live, how you parent and grandparent and all the rest of it, that's important. Because they may be the ones who fulfill some of the promises that we're trusting God for. Now we may see many of those things in our lifetime, but we may not see all of them. But we play our part and hand the baton on. We just see it. And because of that we can rejoice and we can endure by faith. See, a promise from God is substantial. And that's a simple thing to say. A promise from God is like a deposit that you can believe for, for the future. It's a substantial thing. So we trust the promiser. Here's another one. We have to allow that faith to sustain us now. Faith for the future sustains us now. My... my, uh, my mum and dad were love, lovely believers, but they, they used to sometimes say, don't be too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. You know, <laughs> do you know that phrase? And I sort of know what they mean, because I, I was a bit of a dreamer, really. And um, you've got to live in the real world. But actually, what I've discovered is people that are truly heavenly minded, who have, have their minds on the things of God, actually are incredibly useful on the earth. <laughs> so, so you've got to be careful with sayings like that. See, see, if you really have faith in what the God of heaven has said, actually it makes you effective on earth. Because you're, you're bringing what he has said to this earth. Isn't that what we're supposed to pray? 
Our Father is in heaven, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. That's what we're praying, that's what we're living for. You see, faith for the future shapes our present. It does. Faith for what we believe in, let's be really practical, faith for the future of what we want to see happen at the Granary affects what we do in the end of April. That's faith for the future. But that's just a short-term thing. But faith for the future affects the present cynicism says and we live in a world that's very cynical cynicism says i don't believe anything i'm just inclined to not believe that's the world we live in that's what cynicism says materialism says i will believe it if i can see it and measure it that's the material world if i can see it, if you can prove it then i'll believe it but faith in god says something like this actually believing is seeing It's not when I see it, I believe it. It's when when I believe it, I've seen it. You see the difference? It's actually a superior reality. We live in the materialistic West, where only what you can measure is real. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says, says actually, if if you hear and see the word of God, if you have his promises, that's a superior reality, even to the things you can measure. It doesn't mean it's stupid, doesn't mean you don't argue and prove that things where you can, but actually that's a superior reality. The world says, oh, that's just pie in the sky when you die. Isn't it? That's what the world says. Because all they've got is now. Well, actually, the Christian faith is actually more than that because it's steak on the plate while you wait as well. So it's great now. But it also goes beyond that. Faith says, I'm basing my whole life on an eternal future with God. That's what I'm basing my life on because life is short and eternity is eternal. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come and I'll get you and I'll take you there because in my father's house there's many mansions, John 14, 1 to 3. That's great. But we, that, that faith can sustain you now. Let me give you a couple of examples. You can live like an odd one out morally because you've got eternity. See, you can, you can choose to say, no, I'm not going to have sex outside marriage because I want to please God and I'm going to live with him forever. And I want to hear him say, well done. You can make, that's a moral choice. Now, now, the world says, you're missing out on a lot of fun. You're missing out on the pleasure of sin for a season, as the Bible puts it. And you are. You're saying, no, I'm not going to do that because God, Because it makes God sad, and he's got a different standard. You can choose to make that choice. Why? Because you've got an eternal future with God. That's that's a hard moral choice, but it's a moral choice based on the promises of God. You can say, no, I'm I'm, I'm not going to go and get hammered every Friday night anymore. That's my old life, but I'm not going to do that anymore. Why? Because I'm going to live with God forever. There's a wedding feast coming up when I won't have any addictions and I I can drink new wine with Jesus and I'm going to have a lot of fun and it's going to be good and appropriate and it's going to be wonderful and I'm going to be with him forever. So I can make a moral choice now, even though that's very sort of non-PC in our world. Isn't it? People People think, oh, you're missing out. I'm not missing out on anything. I'm investing. I'm not missing out. How about another one? I, I can give as much as possible now, knowing I've got an eternal future prepared for me. 
Matthew 6, verse 19 and 20, Jesus um, talks about it, doesn't he? Where he says, um, prepare purses in heaven. I can't remember. Oh, will it come up as if by marriage? As if by magic? No, it won't. Marriage? <laughs> Let me read it to you because it's a good one. Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break through and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's great. So you can make a choice to... So it's not lo- when you give money away, it's not losing it, by the way. It's just investing it somewhere else. You, you can choose to invest in heaven. It's a f- giving in the end of the day is a faith thing. I don't just mean faith that I'll have enough, although that's true as well, because he's our provider. It's faith that this is not wasting, this is not losing, this is investing. I'm preparing for myself treasure in heaven i've not lost anything i've invested it elsewhere they're choices where faith in the promises of god actually sustain us in the here and now here's another here's another way of doing it we can live like a foreigner you notice what he says in verse 13 they admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth do you, do you ever feel that? Do you ever, are you ever in a situation where you think, I'm just different to everyone else here? Do you, ever like, you ever like that? Everyone else is doing this and I, I want to do that. I thought, it's really strange. Debbie, Debbie had an aunt in before the end of her life. I remember talking to her and she, she said to me, um, she, she was a Christian lady. She said, really, I just don't feel I belong here anymore. <laughs> I know. It's poignant, but it's lovely as well. She was, she was ripening for glory. <laughs> she, was ready, she was ready to go, I, don't, I just don't belong here now. But actually that's true all our lives when we're born again. When we become a Christian, actually we're, we're now foreigners. We belong to a different king and a different kingdom. You're part of God's tribe now and, and you sort of don't fit in. When, when, Paul wrote to, um, no, when Peter wrote to uh, his letter, he, he wrote it in 1 Peter 1 verse 1, to God's chosen strangers in the world. I like that. That's not an excuse for acting strangely, by the way. It's just saying you, you, don't, you don't quite fit in the world. We don't quite belong here. We're now resident aliens. Reminds me of Sting. I'm an alien. I'm a legal alien. Do you remember that one? <laughs> I'm, an foreign, I'm an Englishman in New York. Oh, no, I can't sing very well. We're like that. We're we're English or Welsh or African or whatever country we are. But actually, we're in God's tribe. Whatever country we're in. I know our our, our African brothers and sisters, they they know what it's like to be in a strange, cold, blooming, miserable country. (laughs) You know what it's like. It's strange. Things are the same. You have electricity, water, there's food. But everything's different. And People are odd. People are strange. Different culture. But actually, all of us are like that on this earth. Because we don't belong now. Because other people are living their lives by a different set of rules to us. With a different moral compass to us. With a different set of values to us. That's why sometimes it feels so strange. 
We live in foreign territory. We've been reborn. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom now, aren't we? Is that right? You feel like a citizen of a... You are. So actually, your primary identity now is not, is not your, your race or your, your tribe. It's actually we belong to him. That's our primary identity here. That's why, that's why we represent a different kingdom. I've got, I've got a UK passport, but I represent the, the kingdom of God. So do you. Whatever nationality you are, we represent the kingdom of God. And God loves that kind of faith. God is proud of the faithful. It says in verse 16, Therefore, because they are prepared to live as strangers, because they're prepared to say, yes, I'm odd. I'm making different moral choices. I'm trusting in the promises of a God you can't see. Because of that, God is not ashamed to be called their God. That's lovely, isn't it? When, when we make faith decisions, God is happy to be called ours. That's lovely. I think that's brilliant, isn't it? God's not ashamed of you when you're trusting him. He's proud of you. He's proud to say, hey, Nick Davidson, she's mine. And I'm hers. That's great. That's true for every single one who's trusting in Jesus. He's not just God. He's my God. That's a big difference, isn't it? Lots of people say, oh, I, believe I believe there's a something, or oh, I believe there's a God. No, no, I, I believe there's my God. He's your God. Not just Father, he's our Father in heaven. And he sees all our weaknesses, and he sees all our vulnerabilities. Abraham had them too. He panicked, he pretended his wife was his sister, he told lies. He had a baby by his servant girl, for goodness sake. But God looks at him and says, he's mine and I'm his. That's wonderful. And God has prepared a future for us as well. It says, um, he has prepared a city for them. See, at the end of time, I don't know what you're finding. Do you have any embarrassing relatives? Eh, your mum. Ah, Okay. <laughs> Most, you know, that, that, that relative, every family's got one. In case my family listened to this tape, I'm not mentioning any names. But, <laughs> and we don't have tapes either, do we? No. But we, you have certain relatives that when there's a wedding, they have to have a minder. Do you have any of those? <laughs> Some people are thinking of who theirs is now. We, when, when we get to eternity, God's not going to put you at the end table and give, a, give you a minder because you're a bit embarrassing to him. He's not. He's not. He's proud of those who trust in him. He's prepared a city for him. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We'll live for him for all eternity. He's our God. We're his people. We need to finish. I just, I just want to, what's the so what? I've got, I got two encouragements to us. Can we determine to make some faith choices? In the end, faith comes down to, if I trust God, I'll do that. Or if I trust God, I'm prepared to not do that anymore. They're faith choices. I'm going to live by this morality because I believe God. I'm going to not do that anymore because I'm trusting God. 
You're marching to a diff- choosing to march to a different beat, dance to a different tune. Make some faith choices because you believe in God. Make some choices to invest in his kingdom. Make some choices morally, what you do, what you don't do. And, and can I say to those who are older, I mean, I might go before you anyway. So it's a race. No, it's not a race. Live well and pass the baton on well. And I'm talking to myself. I, I, I want to live well. <laughs> eh? Pass the baron on. <laughs> yeah, well. Don't worry about it, Dan. I haven't got a baron to pass on, but I've got a baton. <laughs> There's so much to look forward to. But, but while we live on this earth, live by faith. Eh? There's only one T, apparently. <laughs> We're back to Baron. <laughs> hey! Tell you what, Dan, it's a very hard life, isn't it? <laughs> and we do have some spelling and grammar ninjas at the front here, so. <laughs> Let's live well while we're granted life. Now, as we get older, we, we don't have as much energy. We can't get out and about quite so much. We can't do But live by faith. I know my mum, when my mum got to 80, she had to stop visiting the elderly. I know that. But, 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 but while we have life and strength, let's live by faith. Let's find things to do by faith. Let's pray by faith. When you've got more time because you're not gadding about everywhere, then use that time to pray for the rest of us. Adopt some spiritual grandchildren and great-grandchildren pray for them give pass your advice on live by faith and then pass the baton on well because the truth is the best is yet to come for all of us because one day there'll be no more aches and pains no more specialists looking at my shoulders no no more of all that rubbish will be passed away i'm looking forward to that aren't you living with god on in a new heaven and a new earth be great I'm really looking. So let's live by faith now in the expectation and the desire that one day God will look us in the eye. Because the next thing we see after we've died is the eyes of Jesus. Look into his eye. And, and, and this is my, sorry, oh, it's so annoying. This is my desire for, for me, but it's, it's my desire for you that, that one day you look into his eye and he'll say, well done. You've been good and you've been faithful. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these marvellous men and women in this chapter. They did all sorts of things. Some, some very ordinary, just holding on. Some strange, building arcs, putting babies in rivers, walking around cities seven times. But they heard your word and they did what you said. And they just trusted you. And we thank you for them. And we ask, Lord, whether we see just some of the things you promised us and then pass the baton on to others, or whether we see lots of what we've trusted you for, either way, Lord, we pray that we would live by faith so that one day we will die by faith and hear you say, well done. We want to be a kind of church, Lord, that doesn't just have a, a burst of faith and then grow cynical.
doesn't rust out and find that oh, I'm disappointed, I give up. But a group of people who committed to each other and to you walk their lives by faith and hand on the baton to others by faith so that what we've believed will happen, whether in our generation or the next or the one after that. We ask you that we would be faithful all of our lives and that we'd hear you say well done. And we pray that because of that, Jesus will be glorified and many people will come to trust in him. Amen. Amen.